Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. More great radio right now as uh, a blogger uh, joins us. Before the pandemic, we had him on a couple times, and he was great. Michelle Dranwood. Michelle, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Blogging at DearWinnipeg.com, DearWinnipeg.com. Refresh my memory. Why do they also call you the Elmwood guy? Uh, that's just, uh, I mean, that's just kind of a, a pen name that I that I use okay. when I sign off my letters. <laughs> All right, excellent. Also, okay, live, good. I live in Elmwood, uh, and I'm a guy. <laughs> and you're a guy, sure. Um, so we are already talking about a couple things I wanted to get your opinion on. Photo radar in Edmonton, and now they're looking at doing it here. But in Edmonton, the uh, photo radar vehicles are, as we heard, a neon color, and it says drive safe on them. So as you drive, you know, hey, there's a photo radar vehicle. Some people like it. Some people don't. I'll get to some text messages and emails uh, here in a moment. So I want to find out what you think about that. And then also parking rates, because uh, we're hearing that uh, a new report says parking rates are too high. Uh, the suggested uh, decrease is $0.75. Cents. And so let's start with uh, the photo radar vehicles first, Michelle. What do, you, what do you think of that idea? Do you like the idea? Because if it's about safety and it's not about the money that these photo radar vehicles make, it seems to me that this is a, a, a good idea. Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, the, the, what we're looking at is is um, trying to reduce speeding because, you know, that speed kills and speed is dangerous. So, you know, it's supposed to be about safety. Um, and painting these vans a, a bright color gives people the heads up that, oh, yeah, you know what, I better slow down here, um, is, you know, is, is definitely um, helps um, on the safety side of it. But it, it doesn't really do anything to address what is an inherent conflict of interest. Um, on behalf of, of, you know, the Winnipeg Police Service, where where they're tasked with um, road safety and keeping us safe on the roads, but at the same time, they, they make money off people being unsafe on the roads. And, and, and the more unsafe people are, the more money they make, right? And so there, there's an inherent conflict of interest there that that is, is really needs to be fixed. Um, you know, if, if we're really serious about making this safe, what we need to do is uncouple the revenue generation side of it from the road safety side of it, which means any, any income that you generate from, from ticketing can't go back to the body that's in charge of, of, of keeping things safe. So, so, you know, one, one of the things that Councillor Klein has said and um, something that a lot of people are saying is, is that that ticket revenue shouldn't go to the police as, as, as budget money. It should be used to make, uh, uh, to, to should be used on, on road safety initiatives, right? And so basically, if you find the, the reality is most people follow the speed limit. Most people want to follow the rules. You've got like 85% of people that, that follow the rules. Of that 15% of people that are speeding, most of them are doing it not on purpose. They're doing it because of the design of the road is, is such that it, it lets them go too fast. And to give an example, if you want to compare Corden Avenue to Provence, they have the same speed limit, but they're built a little bit differently. On Corden, you've got two ways of traffic. There's fewer lanes, you know, framed by trees. The buildings are closer to the road. And so people rarely exceed the speed limit on that part of Corden. But on Provence, it's built way more open. It's got several, you know, wider lanes, two ways of traffic separated. Um, it's a lot easier to, to go faster. And you'll see it on Provence where they've got sort of like this triple enforcement on this one, one, one piece where you've got the, the camera at the intersection, 
followed by one of those mobile signs that says your speed is, and then a little bit further, you'll often find a, a, an enforcement van parked there. So, so the reality is, if if people are speeding, it's not it's not because they're deviant; it's because the road is is built is designed wrong. And so, any income you get from from tickets in those in those areas, the only thing you should be doing with it is to then use it to help redesign the road so to help people not speed. Yeah, and, and, and kind of what you're getting at there is, uh, you know, make that change, put the money in the right place, or just get rid of the damn things altogether. And I think many people would agree with that idea. Um, but uh, I, I, I like the idea of, uh, of making uh, people aware that the vehicle is coming up. I, I, I like the idea. I'm in support of that. Um, yeah, it, it's by the way, it's definitely something that, that, that is more on the safety side than on the revenue generation. So absolutely. Yeah. By the way, that's what I really like about you. Uh, and listening to you make your point there, uh, it reminded me that you back it. You usually make your uh, statement, back it up with numbers, and and you've done the research on that. So that's that's what I I like about you. Uh, I'm just reminded of that as we chat again for the first time in a while. What about parking rates? Um, we find that uh, the city report says they're too high. They should come down seventy five percent, seventy five cents. That's the recommendation. And I guess a couple of years ago, they basically just went in and and upped uh, the park. Parking rates a buck fifty, and as I said to Kate Fensky from uh, Downtown Biz earlier, it, it it seems like they go okay uh, below the bottom line. Here's the number we got to try and hit. What do we have to raise? Uh, for example, in this case, uh, parking fees to hit that number. When when it it shouldn't work that way, but it seems like that's what they're doing. There doesn't seem to be a lot of thought or planning or strategy going into this. Yeah, so essentially you've got the same kind of problem with parking as you've got with with uh, speeding tickets. Is is you've got a city that is using parking um, as a revenue tool instead of as a parking management tool, right? And so the reason you charge for parking shouldn't be to make money. It should be to uh, manage the supply of the parking that you have. So just make sure that anybody who comes up at any given time will always have a spot to park in, and that, and that's. And that's how you should be setting the price, and it's more of a kind of a free market kind of thing, which is which is weird, right? Because you you, you find people that that call themselves you know conservative uh, free market enthusiasts, they become they become dyed in the wool communists when you start talking about parking. But <laughs> but but the reality is is again, you know you want to set the rate at the lowest rate possible that will keep, let's say, fifteen percent of a block open. Right. And and. And, and, and that rate might change depending on the season, depending on the time of day, depending on the, on the side of the street. We have all the technology to adapt it in real time like that. But the reality is, even if we just looked at it every couple of months, every two, three months, and we looked at every street and said, well, you know, is this parking full or is it too empty? If it's, you know, if you've got more than, more than 15% available, then your price is too high. If you've got less than 15% available, then your price is too low. And you just adjust it even in, in 25 cent increments every couple of months. That will go a long way to solving this problem. And, and, and it will be transparent. You'd have a formula that people can look to and be like, oh, yeah, right. Okay, this street face doesn't have enough parking available. It's always, it's always full. That means the price is too low. They're going to bring it up. And, 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 and that way you know that they're not using it as a revenue generation tool. They're using it as a parking management tool. Now, the second part of that that's really important is that you got to make sure that that parking money isn't then going into general revenue. 
Um, in the same sense as, as with the speeding tickets, you got to reinvest that money to fix that street to make it not speed worthy. With parking, you want to do the same kind of thing where, where whatever neighborhood you collected the parking money out of, uh, let's say the exchange district, well, whatever money you generate out of that has to go back into the exchange district, either either to upgrade lampposts or clean sidewalks or do snow clearing or or all, all you know any kinds of, of things that that you know the neighborhood can agree on to, to that that needs work. Um, that's where that parking money has to go. And and once you can do that, then you'll see that everywhere in the city where we have you know quote unquote parking issues, whether it's on Academy or on Cordon or on Osborne or near the U of M that you can start using that, whether it's a business district or a, or a residential district, you can start using it in that, in that sense to control the supply of parking to make sure that there's always a place to park for anybody who's driving up. And then, and then of course, that the residents or the businesses um, that, are, you know, that are adjacent to those, to those uh, parking meters are the ones that are benefiting from it as well. So, Michelle, i got 30 seconds left. So why is that yeah. kind of stuff not happening? Because as you describe it, I go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And you and I have talked about the lack of planning or, or strategy yeah. that we seem to have here in this city. Why is that not being done? So the, the major issue is, is that we have built a city we can't afford. We have, we have more infrastructure than we can ever hope to replace. Um, the numbers aren't even close. Um, and, and so we've got a city that is, is desperate for cash. Um, and rather than facing up to the actual problem and, and implementing policies that are more medium to long term uh, effective, we're always looking for that short term hit of cash. Um, and so we're addicted to these like little sources of cash, even when they put them put us into a, a conflict of interest in, in collecting them and even when they make us worse off in the long run. Hmm. All right, uh, Michelle, thanks for this. Appreciate it, and we'll, we'll have you back soon, and, and hopefully next time we can be in studio together, which would be much yeah. better than this. Looking forward to it. Right now, it's your regular visit with us, Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. Carolyn, good afternoon. Hey, Hal, how are you doing? I am good. Good to talk to you. It's been uh, quite a week since we talked to you last Thursday. Uh, lots has been going on. We know what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis. We've seen the protests. We've seen uh, the rioting. We've seen the looting. Thankfully, the rioting and the looting has calmed down. Protests, uh, for the most part, last night uh, were uh, peaceful. And uh, I think we all uh, hope that continues. Um, I'll just give you a chance, first of all. We've had so many conversations uh, since you and I talked last about Oh boy, unconscious bias and uh, uh, racism, race relations, uh, systematic racism, you know, in not just police forces, but in other aspects of our life. This is, this is a tough one. There, there's a lot going on here. And uh, where would you like to begin? So, uh, yeah, unconscious bias is such a tricky thing because often when we talk about it, people are, people, there's sort of this implication of you're not self-aware or you're not looking for it or you are purposely ignorant. Mm -hmm. And I think unconscious bias is unconscious. It's beyond our awareness. And I think one of the places that I first, I maybe most powerfully learned about unconscious bias in, you know, like sometimes you could know it in your head and sometimes you sort of get it in your gut. One of the places that I learned it was there's this TEDx talk by Paula Stone Williams. And Paula Stone Williams used to be Paul Stone Williams. 
And so she gives a TED Talk about, I've lived as a man and a woman, here's what I've learned. And she talks about how she's educated and privileged. She was she used to be a man of white privilege. And she said, now that I'm a woman and I'm in board meetings, people treat me differently. And when I'm on the plane and I say, that's my seat, the guy will say, no, it's not. In a way that's really dismissive of me as a woman in a way that people didn't used to talk to me when I was a man. And she said, I didn't, when I was a guy, I thought that, I was one of the good guys, but I thought I was sensitive and egalitarian. And she says, I just have to say, I'm sorry. I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought that I didn't sort of mansplain. She says, and now I realize when people do it to me, what it is. I didn't know that. And then she goes on to say, and I have a brown daughter-in-law and a brown daughter and I wonder what it is I don't know about her because she uh, used to be a man and now is a woman. And so she understands what it's like to be, to not have the privilege she used to have and how people have privilege and aren't aware of it with regards to gender. And then she sort of turns it to race and she says, what is it that I don't know? And how is it that I use my privilege as a white person that I'm not even aware of? And then it comes around to, I have to learn and I have to discover I have to I have to find ways of being curious and being open to the fact that I don't know that I don't know. And so I have to be the kind of person that people will invite me to learn that I don't know it. You said two words there, curious and open. You have to be curious and open. And uh, uh, listen, some people I think are, some people are trying to be, and then others are not being curious and open at all. And I don't think we get anywhere on this until people are more curious and open and have discussed, like uh, Meghan Markle today, uh, the Duchess of Sussex, uh, said, she's black, and she said, um, it's important, the only, uh, you've sort of said something similar. Well, let me see if I can find the audio here. I think I've got the audio here. Let me play a little Meghan Markle, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, Carolyn, listen. Okay. The only wrong thing to say is to say nothing. Yeah, this is the one I wanted to play. The only wrong thing to say is to say nothing. Listen to the rest of it. The only wrong thing to say is to say nothing. Because... George Floyd's life mattered, and Breonna Taylor's life mattered, and Philando Castile's life mattered, and Tamir Rice's life mattered. Meghan Markle, one more here. As we've all seen over the last week, what is happening in our country and in our state and in our hometown of L.A. has been absolutely devastating. And there's so much anger, right, uh, on... Uh... Uh, to some degree on both sides, but uh, so get into this, Carolyn. Uh, how do we? How do? How are we able to be more open and more curious? Be prepared to talk. It's real easy to put walls up and and not want to deal with this stuff, uh, because I don't think people like to be told or or feel like they're getting it wrong. Totally, people. People want to be thought of well. And so that first line that we all think of, what will people think? When people might suggest that we are not aware of uh, racial diversity or that we, what we have said might have been perceived as racist, when somebody might suggest that, our first inclination is, I don't want to be that, and I'm not that, and I'm going to push away your suggestion and your perception that I am that. And people push away the learning opportunity because they don't want to be perceived in a certain way. 
And I, I would think that's not only about racism. That's just about any argument. That's why I'm in business as a therapist, mm-hmm. as a couple right. therapist, is because people don't want to be seen as bad. And so they push away any suggestion of this is how I was hurt by your words or this is the, this is the impact your actions had on me. People push that away in defensiveness rather than softening and saying, I'm willing to learn here that what I did wasn't okay. I want to learn, and it doesn't mean I'm a bad person that I said that. I actually want to know. And people have the experience of being valued and heard. And when people don't have the experience of being valued and heard, generally their voices get louder and more insistent. And when people still aren't being heard, then they have to do whatever it takes to be heard. And so what I want to do in my life is find ways of having people feel heard at the first crack. Today is Cheese Day. Well, this is an opportunity uh, to have on my favorite cheese, Bothwell cheese, made right here in Manitoba. And Lynn Roy is the brand manager at Bothwell Cheese and joins us on the phone now. Lynn, good afternoon. How are you? I am excellent. Love your cheese. Good. <laughs> you know, Lynn, people, uh, they'll, uh, I'll do commercials here on CJOB and, and people will say, well, how do you, do you really believe in that product? If you hear me, uh, voicing a commercial or talking about a product, it's because I truly believe in the product. So, Lynn, we should talk because I have a ton of Bothwell cheese in my fridge right now. I was saying earlier, in fact, that uh, I had so much of it at one point, my wife said, you're never going to eat all that cheese, and I had to restock since then. So she was wrong. I was right. I love Bothwell cheese. Fantastic. I like to hear that. <laughs> How are you guys uh, uh, doing? Because we've, you know, with the pandemic, with COVID-19, we've heard issues in the dairy industry, you guys uh, being impacted at all? Well, uh, yes and no, uh, in the sense that our production facility is still running. Um, We do service the food industry as well, so restaurants, bars, and hotels. So, I mean, some of the business there, obviously, for obvious reasons, has gone down. However, we're still producing just as much cheese as we have before, so... um, yeah, everything is everything is good over here. <laughs> good. Why is Bothwell's cheese so good? Because you have won, and it's not just me, right? But you you've won awards around the world for your cheese. What's the secret? The secret is in the milk, Hal. That's what we we use one hundred percent Canadian milk, and actually our farms are located um, probably like. 50 kilometer radius around the plant so it's very local um very fresh milk um and we only use milk we don't use fillers or modified ingredients in any of our cheeses so that's what makes them extra special and other products you know like pizzas and uh, other products brag about using bothwell cheese i mean that's you're the uh uh, brand manager as a brand manager i mean that's the kind of publicity and and love that you you can't buy this is why I love my job. This is why I love my job. That's for sure. It's uh, it's great to. I mean, and Manitobans have been incredibly supportive to the Bothwell cheese brand since its inception in you know 1936. We we've sustained um, most of our business in this market for you know the reason that Manitobans just love that it's coming directly from our province. Yeah. I had a couple questions from listeners because I've been saying that you're going to be on the show here today. Somebody asked, do you actually use real truffles in your truffle cheese? Yes. They, we use yeah, truffles and, I, and truffle oil. 
NOL. I think that's safe to yeah. say, right? I mean, Bothwell is a premium product. So if it says it on the label, I mean, it, it's likely being used. I mean, you guys don't take any shortcuts. No, we and we have to follow the Canadian guidelines, right? So if we're saying it on our label, it has to be in our product. Mm-hmm. Anything new from Bothwell? You've got so many great uh, flavors and varieties of cheese. Anything new or have you been sort of too busy like everybody else just getting through this pandemic? Well, we're always up to something, but uh, I don't know if I'm I'm allowed to pretty much to tell to say anything on air at this point. <laughs> but uh, no, we're always working on new products. Uh, we're always uh, doing development and and uh, testing, and um, it's just a matter of finding um, the next best. Uh, we are we are developing more of our convenience line of products as well. So slices and cubes are now um, available in the market. So um, we're just try to adapt to consumers' needs and what they're looking for as well. So, Lynn, I appreciate you doing this. Honestly, I had you on for no other reason than it's cheese day, and I love your cheese. Thank you. So thank you for doing Fantastic. this. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having us on. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.